ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 58 of Discovery Debrief, setting a course for the future of the final frontier and discussing Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Picard, Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, and who knows what else. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I am very pleased to welcome every member of our bold panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, including Rachel Clow. Hey. Zaki Hassan. Oh, I think Zaki and Cicero are both muted. Did you mute them? Hello. There we go. <laughs> I just had to keep you waiting. That's <laughs> <laughs> My nails were being bitten. They were. And Cicero Holmes. Uh, should they have renamed Nemesis What a Mess? Because, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So this Rare. is interesting. Yeah. Um, so we're not talking about anything specific for this episode. This is just an excuse for us to get back together, uh, you know, full crew compliment for the first time in a while to catch up with you guys and to catch up with what the franchise's news has been doing and to bring Zachy in on a conversation that we all had the last time we got together about the next Star Trek movie, in addition to a whole bunch of other things. But Cicero and I were texting yesterday, and uh, it was possible, Cicero, that you were going to watch a Star Trek movie here or there. Did you get around to do that? I I am happy to say that I, um, well, first off, shamefully have to say that uh, I had never watched all of the Star Trek films Mm -hmm. up until this morning Ah. where I completed all of the Star Trek films. Wow. Um, So the, yeah, I watched them all this morning, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, simultaneously on 17 different screens. Um, They, (laughs) the, so the, the two films that were, uh, that were in my, in my four view and now are in my rear view were the next generation films, insurrection and nemesis. Um, I am happy that I watched them out of order because I watched nemesis first. Interesting. And then I watched insurrection. Um, I only watched nemesis first because that is the one that is on paramount plus. Uh, and, and, uh, insurrection is, both on Prime Video and on Hulu, um, but not on Paramount Plus. That's so weird. Uh, it is. It is very, very weird. You know, I guess eventually they'll get all that stuff figured out. Disney was really slow to kind of get the Marvel, uh, the Marvel films back into their fold. So I think uh, this there's something very similar happening here with uh, Paramount Plus and and the Star Trek films, but very many of them are not on Paramount plus. Yeah. Must be uh, so. sort of remaining streaming deals. Okay. So yeah. before, before we jump into the movie discussion sure. uh, on that side of things, and I'm glad that you got to see those Zachy, welcome back. We are very Thanks. pleased to have you back. Uh, tell us what you've been up to, man. How have things been going in your life? I know that Star Trek hasn't been, uh, a, a big component of, of what you've been able to devote your time to of late. But uh, what has the trekking been like for you in that time, whatever limited trek there was, and just what uh, what have you been up to? Oh, boy. I'll tell you. it's uh, It's been an exhausting uh, but exhilarating time, you know, sort of uh, navigating, trying to teach uh, during the pandemic. And that's why Trek has sort of taken a back seat just because um, I'm, I'm currently teaching 11 classes, um, Good Lord. which is, which is generally not the amount, the recommended dosage of <laughs> classes. Right. But I'm, I'm a feast or famine type of person just by nature. Oh, uh, so when I'm offered uh, work, I tend to take it because I'm always, I'm always, I don't know, just, just my disposition is like, if I say no this time, there might not be a next time. And that's just sort of how I've been. And so in a way, I mean, I can't even complain because uh, I have no commute, you know? So my classroom is uh, wherever I happen to be sitting plus my zoom background. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, there are days where I'm on my bed. There are days where I'm in my closet. There are days, I mean, you name it, you know? 
but but it's been it's been a real uh, it's been an instructive time. And uh, you know, one thing I was telling my wife was like, as 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 we as we're speaking now, you know, uh, restrictions are starting to lift a little bit. There's a sense of sort of being, you know, uh, if not on the other side of it, at least seeing the light. And I was like, you know, we're we're gonna remember this time, like for the rest of our lives, this will be like a stick pin in in time. And you know, so I'm almost like, let's sort of savor this as as this part of of um, our experience, you know, draws to a close. And so it's been, you know, um, it's been it has been nice, and 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 not to in any way minimize obviously the real human toll. Uh, but I'm very grateful that for for myself and my family, we we haven't really experienced any hardship during this time, and that's probably the what else can you ask for? You know, um, no one in my family came and came, came down with COVID or anything like that. Like we've all been okay, and that's just I'm so grateful for that. Absolutely, awesome. very well said. Well, I mean, I can certainly uh, understand the um, taking in the historical implications of everything that's happened. I mean, the fact that all of us have been alive during this time. Someone in the future, including our children or grandchildren, are going to ask us what it was like, right? I mean, that's just the nature of this. I remember walking through a grocery store in Skokie, Illinois, right after things started to get handed down and I had just started working from home, wearing a mask and thinking that that was unusual. And as I was walking out there was a TV that was playing a news report about how the stock market was crashing again. And for some reason, that moment just stuck out in my mind of, uh, wow, this is history. Look around. There's people that are masked. The world seems to be falling apart. We have a a, a stupid fascist that's leading us. Uh, This is a very unusual time in our history. And that's going to be with everybody experiencing this forever. And, well said. Yeah. Uh, and, and thankfully, you know, you can look back on how things were then and how things are now. And there is a notable improvement and sentiment does appear to be improving. And Washington state is among those that are starting to see restrictions lift. Um, but I think the sentiment is, is a very welcome one. And for those people who have lost, we are, our, our hearts of course go out to you. Um, but yeah, thankfully with, at least in terms of our family, we're fortunate as well. And I'm glad that, uh, you two are both with us here today to join us and talk about something that I think we can all, uh, escape to and still also kind of aspire to, unless I'm being too optimistic, Rachel, which, (laughs) why, what do you mean? Well, if I believe Paramount, we'll get into that in a second. Um, <laughs> you're not being optimistic; you're being naive. Oh, okay. oh yeah, well, right, see. well said. Well so said. On. Sometimes well those said. are interchangeable, I guess. Yes. So, uh, Zachy, before I hand it back to Cicero, so he has just watched the last two TNG movies. What goes through your head first of all when you hear he watched Nemesis first and rounded it off with Insurrection? And also, just how do those movies sit with you now? Before I hand it off to you, um, how do they sit with me now? Well, I admittedly I haven't watched Nemesis since two thousand and nine, so I think that sort of says a little bit, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I, I will say I think I think Nemesis. What I've I've never been a fan of that movie, um, but what irked me about it probably more than anything is that up until a year ago that was the the end of the next generation's journey and so i i tend to look at nemesis now sort of like how i look at x3 the last stand now Uh, in that you know that that what pissed me off about that was they were basically like this is it this is the end and i was like well that's a shitty ending and now i look at x3 as like well it's like a crappy issue of a decent run. You know, it's like a bump in the road. What was Claremont smoking? You're right. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, (laughs) and, and so that's nemesis to me. It's like, well, it's, it's like a, you know, mediocre to bad episode, but there's still more story to be told. And so 
I can just sort of take it as that. And and I think just in general, I look at the next generation films kind of the same way I look at the TOS films. I'm like, you know, good or bad, it's an opportunity to hang out with these with my friends, you know. Sure. Um, and and that's that makes it go down a little easier. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, Cicero, you. So when did you know? that insurrection was going to be available elsewhere before you decided to watch nemesis or what, what was it that made you decide to take it in that order? Cause you do these broadcast order rewatches. You are just right. a subversive when it comes to yes. absorbing star Trek chronologically. <laughs> yes. so, so what? I really am. And it is, it's completely unintentional. All right. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, the, so what happened was I happened to be, when we were having the conversation, I happened to have been watching something on Paramount plus already. So I was like, all right, well, as soon as I finish this thing that I'm almost done with, then, you know, I'll queue up the Star Trek films. Uh, and, and it just so happened that Nemesis was the only one that was available on Paramount plus. And then I looked to see where uh, Insurrection was, but only after I watched Nemesis. And it, and in fact, I did this almost unintentionally. I knew subliminally that Nemesis was the final film from the TNG crew, but it wasn't at the fore of my mind. So I was just like, oh, here's one of the TNG films. Let me just watch it. And, uh, and you know, knowing that I had two films to watch. And it just so happened that it happened to be Nemesis, and it just so happened to be the lesser of those two films. <laughs> so. Very interesting. Um, well, and uh, and and to to uh, Zaki's point, I think I didn't come away with it feeling as uh, I don't I don't I, vengeful. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, mouth frothy as as many people may have been um, after watching that film, partially because I came out of it with the same outlook that Zachy kind of talked about, which is eh, it was just you know it was something bad, but immediately, uh, not to spoil the film, you know, no spoilers uh, for the film, but I knew that things would be reset based on the fact that I had already seen Picard. Mm-hmm. And and so it didn't, so the stakes that they planted in that film didn't feel as final. Sure. And because they didn't feel as final, I didn't have as visceral a reaction to uh to the 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 events of that film as someone who may have seen it at its release or not long after its release that's it's funny i mean i just remember coming out of the theater in december of 2002 almost kind of numb because i wasn't sure that for whatever reason just in the moment i was not able to fully uh digest the death of data that mm. that legitimately shocked me at the time. And so, then it's only as time has gone on that I just kind of, before Picard came out that I kind of uh, didn't look at it as such a pivotal happening in comparison to every other adventure we have with him. I, I, I love the fact that I, I spent a lot of time talking about how I wasn't going to spoil the results of that film. And then you immediately came out and was like, yeah, you know, the death of David. The movie did come out almost 19 years ago. Hey man, I like, I think I knew that those things happen, but I hadn't seen, I didn't see them until less than 24 hours ago. Right. No, we also have talked about Picard. Uh, sure. At yes. And the results. Right. right. Yeah. And, and but yeah. But so, but you know, so the, I mean, the thing, the thing, having not seen Nemesis and then watching the beginning of Picard had, you know, I had a very different feeling again, because I'm doing things in such a subversive way I had a very different emotional take sure. on that very, that opening scene from Picard. Mm-hmm. Um, that scene is, 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 beautifully it's beautifully shot it is very poignant 
Um, it is all of the things, right? Mm -hmm. But what I didn't bring with it was the baggage from Nemesis, where, you know, th that excitement of seeing data alive, presumably, mm -hmm. with Picard playing chess on the Enterprise, right? Like, uh, and, you know, and then obviously, of course, in Picard, it showed out, turned out to be a dream, but he was still alive. And then, you know, and then we get a proper death scene with, with data, which feels like vindication for anyone who had watched Nemesis. That still used blue skies, by the way. Right. Something yes. that was only connected to data's end via yes. a film that is largely reviled, which I still right. find very interesting. But you you know what? So there are good things. There were good elements that were in that film, but the film itself wasn't great. Mm. Um, you know, and and, and not to, uh, this is this is definitely very hyperbole, uh, you know, very hyperbolic, very tongue in cheek, but in similar ways to how I felt about season three of Discovery. Right. Not mm -hmm. to say that I thought season three was very good, but I felt like there the components of the season were greater than the sum of the season. Right. And I feel like Nemesis uh had good components in it, um, but but you know, ultimately wasn't a wasn't a good film, wasn't even, you know, a good extended episode of of tng okay so hold that thought for a second because right. i want to go to the rest of the panel real fast on something so zaki when you think back to first absorb and spoiler alert i guess uh <laughs> <laughs> when you think back to uh to the end of picard and the goodbye that we did end up getting for data hmm. um was that what you were looking for in terms of, well, shit, we were left behind with a movie that I found to be subpar at best. And now you have the second chance to say goodbye to him. Um, with that context, were you satisfied with the way that we did finally say goodbye to data? I think so. And I, and I think it comes with the, the context of this being an actual goodbye, right? I mean, I think nemesis sort of uh, undermined itself by essentially doing Wrath of Khan and trying to sneak search for Spock into the last five minutes. Mm -hmm. That's that's the fundamental problem is you have no there's no there's no window that the movie really gives you to be like, oh my gosh, data's gone. He's not dead as long as you remember. Like you know, Wrath of Khan really gives us a whole uh you know, an extended farewell to Spock. And when you think about it, if we never saw Spock again after at the con, obviously that would be sad, but it would be a beautiful goodbye to the character. Sure. And Nemesis didn't do that. And so, and, and the reason being Rick Berman was like, Oh, and we're going to come back. And we're going to do another one. You know, I remember him saying like, I'm confident that, you know, the movie came out on Friday. He's like Saturday morning. They're going to call me and ask me to get the next one ready. <laughs> he was, uh, he was off base on that. Right. Um, and so, so as a result, there was something, it was, it was cheap. Because th there was really no, uh, there was nothing built into Data's farewell other than them putting tracing paper on top of the Wrath of Khan. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Picard, I mean, we know we're not going to, we may see Brent Spiner again. Obviously, they got, they got you know, some cousin mm -hmm. number 53, whatever the character's name. <laughs> um, but we're not going to see Data again, and we know that. And so they've engineered it in that way. And, and it's extraordinary when you think about it. It's these two characters sitting on a, sitting on uh, uh, living room uh, couches and mm. just talking to each other. And it's, it's beautiful, you know? Yeah. So, so a uh, short, short answer. Yes. Maybe, <laughs> uh, maybe next time Rick Berman shouldn't open a movie so close to us to two towers, I'm guessing, or a movie of the stature of two towers. Just a thought. Well, just well, worse than that. It, it got killed opening weekend by Made in Manhattan starring J-Lo. That's <laughs> <laughs> a good movie. Much better movie than that. But I, I mean, essentially, it's like, you know, uh, it was already roadkill by the time the two towers opened. 
Sure. Yeah. Well, but you expect <laughs> Made in Manhattan, a new IP, to maybe not have the same kind of I box office. I think that it was counter programming, thinking that Made in Manhattan and Star Trek Nemesis don't have a whole lot of overlap in their audience. <laughs> right. Someone who goes to the theater is like, "Well, go see Star Trek. What do we hey, want? Maybe Made in Manhattan." We'll just, no, no. Yeah. What? The well, new Rich- J Lo rom com is out. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, screw <laughs> Star Trek. Yeah, in that case. <laughs> well, Rachel, same question to you, uh, because you have the um, – you probably weren't as, I guess, reviled by the ending of Data in Nemesis, if I were to guess. I was not. But did you feel like Picard said goodbye better going into that scene? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. It was nice. I mean, I don't think about Nemesis ever. Right. I just, I, I probably think about it more than anybody else on this panel, but yeah. please continue. I, I mean, I just don't like, I didn't like it that much. So I just don't think about it. It's, I don't know. Like, it's not a big deal. <laughs> Shinzon does not uh, live rent free in your head. Yeah, no. Yeah. It's, Rachel, it, don't you, don't you know you're doing fandom wrong? If you right, don't like right, it, you have to right. hold on to your hatred. Look, I have a real good enlightened feeling about it that i you know i need to adopt this for game of thrones because i'm still really bitter about that (laughs) but um like it's yeah i just like so for uh for data in in picard it was just very much it was like sweet and nice on its own and i i liked it on its own and i didn't feel like it had to make it up for anything in my mind sure so i was just i was just happy to see it Mm-hmm. In any case. All right. Well, Cicero, so coming back to you, because you come at it from a couple of different angles. Not only do you decide to watch Nemesis pretty straight through after having already seen Picard, but you finished TNG as well, didn't you? Relatively recently. Correct. Correct. So how yes. does all of that stuff combine for you? And now that you have also seen the actual end of Data's story, when you come to Nemesis... How does that side of the equation leave you, especially since you've absorbed so much TNG recently? Well, so, I mean, the the beginning of the film was was so confusing to me because they sit around talking about, like, they spend all this time talking about before and, (laughs) and, you know, as if Lord never existed. Yeah. Right? Like, this, that that whole, that, that whole, like... The whole explanation of B4 and their discovery of B4 was so confusing to me that I was trying to figure out this timeline. Like, I just, for for whatever reason, I was convinced that this film took place before the show did because (laughs) of the way that they were talking about B4 as if they had never seen an Android that looked like data before. The closest Um, that you get to a reference to lore is just Captain Picard saying that Dr. Soong's penchant for whimsical name seems to have no (laughs) end. Right. Right. That was, you know, and, and so that part was, it was so confusing. And like the, the, the only reason I knew it, it took place after the events of the television show was because Jordy didn't have a visor on. <laughs> like that was that was the only thing that and you was didn't like the see thing how that, that grounded me until right. the next movie you watched. Right. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so um yeah, like that was the token, like that was the inception token that kept me grounded. <laughs> so um was jo- was Jordy's eyes. Sure. Um but like I it was just it was just such a weird movie. It was just like the problem with the movie for me, it started with their surprise of who B4 was. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of it like it just it just felt incongruent with what it was supposed to be. Sure. Which was this celebration of of revisiting your friends as Zachy so accurately described them revisiting your friends 
that you've that you've had all of this shared history with right and and when they present an issue like you know part of the crux of the film is this this android that is so unique that isn't unique because of all the shared history that we have like like that shows me that the people that are creating this film that that are doing you know that are 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 throwing this celebration aren't really celebrating with you well and uh, right to to kind of piggyback on that um i admire stuart baird's work particularly as an editor mm-hmm. uh it sounds like he was a huge dick on this movie mm. he kept calling lavar burton laverne laverne after he was corrected <laughs> multiple times he oh, kept gosh. saying hello laverne like what the oh. hell man like you got a legend oh, on gosh. your set basically and you're gonna disrespect oh, him like that for, for god's sake but also too i mean he didn't know the franchise like he didn't know right. the franchise from a hole in the wall in fact like i remember watching some behind the scenes stuff right after the dvd came out and uh he just said well we have the set for the scimitar and it's got a view screen because you know all these bridges have to have view screens and i was just like for god's <laughs> sake man this is how you're going to refer to things, just like this one basic visual cue. So it's just like your your sense, from my understanding, is absolutely correct. He didn't really know what he was getting into, but also the journeys of the characters, they cut so much stuff out of this movie that yes. would have been better served. So you actually have lines from Wesley that are on the cutting room floor. You have a single line that they cut out that would have cleared up, wait a second, why is Worf back on the Enterprise? Right. Last time we yes. saw Worf, he was supposed to be a, a diplomat for Kronos mm-hmm. in the Federation. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a line that they cut where he said the life of a diplomat wasn't for me or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And they just cut it out. And it's like a single line would have helped to smooth out those kinds of things and at least give service to the journey that a lot of fans went on with Worf for for four years on DS9. But even, even that, I didn't, I didn't like that. I don't know. Like that, that line rubbed me the wrong way. Oh, sure. It just yeah. felt disrespectful to what deep space nine did with that character. Very dismissive. It, treated, it, it yeah. treated DS9 like a detour instead of something that was far better serving of the character than, than TNG did. Yeah. And I mean, I guess DS9 just gets lumped in there because it was kind of a transitionary period between TNG and then Voyager. And since Voyager was the last show before Enterprise, I guess it was just sort of seen as having the baton, even though DS9, for all intents and purposes, I think from this panel's perspective, is the superior series. But well, uh, yeah, I think, I think, uh, you know, what, what happened in, to DS9 in the moment was that it was still the black sheep of the franchise. Yeah. At the, you know, at that particular point because it was the show that was, you know, was anachronistic to everything that Star Trek was supposed to be about, right? Mm-hmm. Like it was the most not my trek of the not my trek people. Right. Um, you know, they were, you know, they they weren't going off to strange new worlds. They weren't, you know, there was there were so many reasons not to like uh DS9 but of course uh you know history proves <laughs> proves everyone that DS9 was was objectively the best show of of, so of all of them I feel like this is a good segue to move to insurrection because insurrection as a movie, they never give a star date in that movie, but it takes place in 2375, which for all intents and purposes canonically is the final year of the Dominion War. So after First Contact going into Insurrection, a lot of things have transpired in the Star Trek universe, and these are my key issues with Insurrection. So the war has been going on for years by the point that this uh, that this movie starts. You have the Federation flagship that's kind of off doing its own thing that seems very disconnected from the fact that there's an interstellar war going on. Um, we have seen Worf not only get married, but lose his wife by the time this movie begins. I'm led to believe is the the form of the chronology. Um, obviously, we never saw any crew members from the Enterprise at Worf's wedding. 
which still bothers me, even though I understand the limits of a, of a weekly episodic TV show. But also, too, there's a line in Insurrection and in, in, indeed in Deep Space Nine where they establish that the Sona is supplying the Jem'Hadar with Ketracel White. Right. And all of these things are happening. So my basic feelings, and I'll, I'll go around the panel before I throw it back to you, Cicero, but my basic feelings are that Insurrection is a good movie as an extended TNG episode, and I enjoy it on that basis. But when it comes to intertwining with the universe, it does a piss poor job that it should not have done. And there is a huge opportunity here that is wasted by going with a more typical adventure that has nicer special effects. I like Insurrection as a movie. I think it's pro- it's probably got some pretty solid humor. I know that's something that people denigrate about it. I still laugh when I watch that movie. I was laughing the other day. But um it's when you start to get into the shared universe aspect that so many questions just naturally encumber my brain that it gets in the way of me fully embracing it as a movie. So Zachy, when it comes to insurrection, what are your basic thoughts on it and how it interacts with the universe, but also just as a movie on its own? I think, I think it's easy, uh, 20, uh, plus years later to, to, to look at it as you say, like, Oh, it's just kind of an extended, you know, like a semi-decent two-parter from the show. You know, I don't think it's any worse than like, what was the, you know, in like season seven, the thing with Worf when he, wasn't that a two-parter? I forget, I forget what it was called when he goes and finds the Klingon colony. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Where yeah, he yeah. actually goes to DS9 at first. Right. Yeah, you know, and that that it's like, eh, all right, it's fine, you know. Um, my problem, the thought I had at the time, and I still feel this way, is there was a kind of hubris in making uh, that movie so average. That's right. that's what irked me because to me, I'm like, you have to treat every at bat like you got to hit a home run, right? So getting on base was not enough, you know. When you think about it. Uh, they really hit it out of the park with with first contact. Like generations was adequate, but you got you got butts in seats because oh wow you know Kirk and Picard together that's 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 your that's your marquee, and then and then first contact is really like a coming out party for the next generation on the on the big screen, and then and then they just kind of whiffed it with this whatever of a story right and and so th- there was there was nothing to sell it other than. Hey, here's more of that thing you like, but it's got to be more than that, you know. Yeah. Uh, and 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 it, the in addition to what you said about about the sona being kind of sketchy, you know, in terms of the mythology of the the universe. The other issue I have, and this is something I, I believe it was Gene Siskel pointed out uh, in his review. He's like the the issue is that the the conflict fundamentally doesn't make a lot of sense to me because you're telling me there wasn't some amicable solution they could arrive at where, where you say, look, these, the, you, you go on this planet and it makes you youthful. Okay. Well, let's figure out a way to share, right? Like the idea that, that Admiral Anthony Zerby is going to be like, you know, we, we have to do like a trail of tears here. Like it's such a bizarre leap. Right. Yeah. And, and there's no next generation context to get there. Right. Because when you think about it, he's kind of like Admiral Marcus in, in in into darkness right in these militaristic and stuff but like there's at least some foundation there right you say look um you know vulcan got destroyed and it sent the federation in this direction okay you kind of get there what in next and next generation leads us to this guy just being just this abject asshole doing that you know well and they also they they hammer into viewers heads multiple times in the movie that the that the Baku village only has 600 people in it and yeah, it's a I whole mean, planet Zerby says that he's like John Luke it's only and and you're kind of like I mean yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> like figure out a way to make this work you know like they didn't even say something like, well, the village is the most potent area for the metaphasic radiation or something like that. They didn't take it that far. It's like, why is a whole planet at stake? Why can't this be an a, a de-aging clinic right. on one planet? Yeah, I, I don't know. 
Well, I think that's very <laughs> that's very well put, Zach. It just falls apart even more. Uh, <laughs> Rachel, your general thoughts on insurrection? You've heard me bellyache about it for the last couple of days. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's an enjoyable watch experience. You you threw it on the other day, and I was enjoying watching it. I did have all the thoughts that you guys were just saying about like, I'm like, why can't they just share the planet? I, yeah. Like, <laughs> I really don't, but I don't know. It doesn't bother me. Sure. Yeah. I, it, well, you, know, you, you have those thoughts and then I'm like, Oh yeah, but you know, I get to hang out with my friends. Right. Well, more power <laughs> to you. I mean, and I just think like, if the franchise minds of today were in the position of making a Star Trek movie in 1998, uh, we would have gotten a TNG DS nine dominion war crossover movie. Like right. that yeah. just, that yeah. just seems like such a missed opportunity. And I know I'm right. Yeah, it would have been, it would have been a Star Trek DS nine dominion war trilogy. There you go. Probably, <laughs> right? probably, yeah. I mean, they would right? have built it for gotten, longer than just a movie. From you would have gotten the TNG angle. You would have gotten the TNG movie. You would have gotten the DS Nine movie, and then you would have gotten their their Endgame. I mean, they were so overly worried at this point in time, and honestly, they still are in some respects of of scaring off the newbies. That uh, I'm sure that that's what guided it. But anyway, so we went around the world, Cicero. This is the most recent Star Trek movie you have watched. You have yes. absorbed so much of the franchise leading up to this moment. Take it away. So, um, you know, and this this may be um, foreshadowing a little bit about our conversation, but th- this when I finished this up ep- when I finished this episode when I finished this movie, it it made me feel smarter about the things that I, or at least wiser about the things that I had said in our previous episode about what I think the direction for the franchise and its motion picture uh, possibilities. Um, and in, in saying that, you know, Paramount plus should be the home for any feature length Star Trek content. And it should be, large extensions of episodes, right? Like we just, instead of a two-parter, we get a feature length film that is just kind of, you know, it's in Canon, but it kind of sits by itself. Like El Camino. Right. 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 (laughs) Um, But, but that, and that's how I felt about this, this film. Like it was freaks at his most freakiest, (laughs) right? Like it, it just, it like i i didn't realize that freaks had signatures he had a signature style but as i was watching this film i was like this feels like an episode and not only does it feel like an episode it feels like a freaks episode hmm. right and um you know now having watched freaks direct uh star trek and star trek adjacent episodes of television on four five different series now um i like i i realize now that like oh yeah there's there's a style to the way that he shoots a film mm-hmm. and i enjoy it for television and i enjoyed it in insurrection because it made me feel like television i don't know that i would have enjoyed it in the movies, hmm. right? Like, I don't know if, I don't know that I realize that there is a difference, at least for me, in how I feel about, how I view a film sitting in my in the comfort of my home versus how I critique a film when I have to leave my home and go pay extra money and get concessions and do the whole dance to go see a film in the theater in the theater house mm-hmm. um but a film like insurrection shows me that i do because i don't think that i would have liked insurrection in the theater hmm. it felt too much like tv but yeah. but at home it was perfectly fine interesting and that really kind of perfectly brings fine. in a, an entirely new way that we absorb media now 
right? right. Through home exhibition that did not exist at the time this movie came out. Right. Uh, so that, that's, that's an interesting thought. So overall though, you have generally positive feelings like the humor landed with you and yeah. Yeah. It was it, so like, uh, the, um, Worf's pimple was a little cringy. <laughs> it's a gorge. Um, but then, you know, but then they, they came back to it and it was like, Oh yeah, it plays right. It plays right. Like that was, <laughs> but, but like, uh, yeah, I mean it, it yeah, it just, it was a really fun episode. Not again, wasn't the best thing that I've seen that ensemble in. Sure. You know, like, and, and there have been episodes of TNG that far surpass what, you know, the feelings that I had when I finished Insurrection, but it, it fell right in line with very good Trek, you know, sure. very good TNG. Mm-hmm. Um, Nemesis did not. <laughs> Nemesis was, was, was not on that list, but, but, but this film would have fallen closer to Nemesis had I had to go and leave my house and pay money to go see it. Sure. Um, and, and that's that, like, I'm really coming to that revelation, you know, to that revelation like now. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it it is kind of shocking to me to be, you know, to be able to say that definitively, but yeah, yeah, there's a difference. You know, I don't think insurrection gets quite enough credit for rekindling the romance between Riker and Troy. I thought that that the movie did a pretty solid job in, in that side of things and something that persists through to now so yeah and you know what's what's funny about that is because i watched everything in reverse right and because uh while while tng is was reversed for me in terms of like where i was with with the the series Mm -hmm. um the last bit that i was left off with was them very much being in love and just kind of realizing that where, you know, they would be together if the opportunity arises. Like that's, that's very much how it was left. However, first contact, you know, they were, they were definitely separated, but my last, my last uh, viewing of them besides TNG was in Picard where they were married and had had kids, you know, yeah. had a very loving relationship. So seeing them together in insurrection and seeing them, you know, married in, in Nemesis didn't seem weird to me at all. But if I had watched them, you know, if I had watched it in progression, it may have seemed weird. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, but, you know, I, I, I like them, you know, I, I obviously like, uh, Troy and Riker together, but I think Frakes likes Troy and Riker together. Oh, sure. I think that yeah. I think I think that's really where that push came from. And I, I um, and for for that year, in terms of poignancy too, when when Jordy got his eyes back, I, mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty solid. That. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It has yeah, a that was great awesome. score, by the way. It's, oh yeah, it's, yes, it's, yes, it's beautiful. Like the. Um, that that entire it, I think it's called new new sight or new vision or something, and mm-hmm. it, it culminates with with Jordy uh, looking at the sunrise. It's beautiful music, you know, and even the opening with the, the village. It's uh, Goldsmith yes. did some great stuff. He's so smooth, you know. Um, yeah. There's there is such a dividing line between uh, a Goldsmith Star Trek score and and everybody. Not that the other scores are bad per se, but. Right. They're just not that. Right. Yeah. I mean, like even Star Trek five, it's my least favorite movie in the franchise, but I got nothing bad to say about his work. Um, I mean, it's, it's Goldsmith and James Horner and then everyone else. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah, well, well said. All right. Well, um, we are running against uh, up against the clock a little bit here, but I do want to bring Zachy into a continuation of the last discussion that we had related to the future of Star Trek on film. So, Zaggy, you said that you weren't quite familiar with the news item that spawned this conversation. So this was, let's see, this was posted at Trek Movie on April 9th. 
where Paramount officially unveiled that an untitled Star Trek movie has been slotted for a June 9th, 2023 release date and that J.J. Abrams is going to be producing it. Um, Quick and dirty recap of our conversation is that I felt that because Paramount was publicly declaring this release date as locked for the next Star Trek movie and that they were uh, giving J.J. Abrams' name out publicly, in spite of the fact that he has such a big deal with Warner Media right now and conceivably is going to be developing DC Comics-based projects in the future, that this was a relatively sure thing, that they have this date, they don't want to say what they're going to be doing, but they probably are further along than they're indicating. Rachel and Cicero very much disagreed with me. Uh, that this instead was just a development deal that they don't have shit for, basically, and that they're just throwing the gauntlet down to get people talking publicly about the fact that Abrams is going to be involved with a fourth Star Trek movie under his watch. When you hear that Paramount is throwing a gauntlet down saying June 9th, 2023 is going to have a Star Trek movie in theaters from producer J.J. Abrams. What do you feel like about the future of the franchise? Do you think that there is substance to this? Or do you think that, Chris, you're crazy for believing that Paramount had something real to offer in the first place? (laughs) There are always possibilities. (laughs) Uh, That's my, that's my, that's my stock answer. Can't, can't go wrong with that. Um, I, I, I think a movie, let me, let me, I was going to say, I think a movie will happen. Let me rephrase. I think Paramount very much wants a movie to happen. So I don't, I think this is more than just putting it out there. I think they, they want Star Trek to be a multi-appendaged thing. They want it to be for them what Star Wars is for Disney, which is they're doing cartoons and shows and movies and everything's feeding back and forth. They want it to be, uh what marvel is maybe not playing at that level obviously so so do i think another movie will happen yeah will it happen on that date well i mean how many they've been developing something or other since beyond right uh so so i'm i'm cautious i i have a spock eyebrow raise (laughs) about whether they make that date but i i think something is going to happen i think as far as abram's involvement I I wonder if that's not just sort of contractually like he he's got himself a little piece of the franchise now the same way Michael Bay gets his name on every Star Trek movie uh, sorry every Transformers movie even if he has nothing to do with it like like Bumblebee which he had nothing to do with it, but his name is on it. you know I I think right. uh I I I don't think Abrams presence signals anything like I don't think it means that the Kelvinverse is continuing nor does it say it's not continuing. I don't. I don't think there's that's enough to say anything. Um, obviously, I think I've been on record everywhere on this show to random strangers on the street that I very much want the Kelvin verse to continue. So that's that's what I'm hopeful for. But uh, I don't know. You know, maybe they may just want to do something completely different. Well, here's here's the thing that still kind of bothers me even after we we had our conversation about it last time on this show is that after Beyond came out and people thought about it what they did, you know, I I'm on the record very much liking it and thinking it's probably the best of the three that have come out, but I've been, it's that's certainly not a a, a a unanimous opinion from the fan base, but right. after Beyond came out and performed the way it performed, which was under not just the studio's expectations, which are always astronomical, but I think just a lot of general observers' expectations. And we've talked on this show even about how the next Star Trek movie probably shouldn't be a summer tentpole. It should probably have a lower budget and it should maybe lean back on, I don't know, like a November kind of a window. But when this announcement comes through, Abrams doesn't know how to make a movie for less than $300 million, it seems. (laughs) They've slotted it at the beginning of the summer movie season. And it seems like they're trying to announce it a couple of years ahead of time. 
they're really angling this to potentially be a tentpole in, in 2023. And I think, Cicero, if I'm not mistaken, your contention was that that date is too soon. They can't possibly have something at that level, playing at that level, by the summer of 2023, just over two years from right now. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I do not believe it at all. I, at all. I, I, I don't think that's. I don't think that's necessarily unrealistic. I, I think, I think you could get there. Uh, I mean, it, it takes some work, but, but even in, insofar as budget, I mean, bear in mind, J.J. Abrams directed Super Eight for like twenty bucks and a stick of chewing gum. Right. It costs nothing to make. I think it was like fifty million. Yeah, but. The- Sorry, go ahead. That was that was that was the JJ Abrams who was like, Oh, isn't he the guy who did the fringe show? Oh yeah, no, kinda, no, no. You that know. was that was after Star Trek. That was after the first Star Trek. Oh, was really? Yeah, yeah. He, Super did that between, after? he did that between the first two Star Trek movies. Oh, get out of here. So, so he oh, can man. do it. I mean, and that movie <laughs> I mean, I wasn't crazy about it, but it looks great, right? Well, is, yeah. so is Star Trek the dividing line for Abrams or is it the Force Awakens? Force Awakens uh, is more of a dividing line for Abrams than Star Trek. You think so? Yes. Because I, I mean, well, I think I think he doesn't. I think he doesn't get the Force Awakens without Star Trek, though. No, that's that's true. But I don't. I think that he. I guess like well, he doesn't. He can do whatever he wants after the Force Awakens. His two that Star Trek massively like success. Yes. There, there's right? there's there are two very different performers on his Star Trek movies, right? On the ones that he directed, because 2009 turned everybody's heads, and it was it, right. it was pretty close to being a summer blockbuster. It wasn't quite at the level that a Marvel movie is really at all, but right. it, it's still for the franchise. They, they were happy with it. The studio was happy. Yeah. And Into Darkness did okay, but it didn't do as well as 2009. Yeah. And then two years after that, he puts out a movie that makes $2 billion worldwide. Yeah. Right. And so, that's, I mean, that's just because Star Wars is Star Wars, Star Trek is Star Trek. I mean, that's yeah. Just, sure. Yes. Like, it, this is, this yes. is the problem is with the studio, right? So, I mean, if, if they were to go to JJ and say, listen, we want you to do something that's a little bit more down and dirty, I, I, I honestly think. And even if he doesn't direct it, right? I think I think he's got enough of a rapport with the cast that he could make he, he could make them be on board with it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, because that's the, that was the issue, right? Because Paramount was like, "Hey, Chris Pine, like, take a salary cut," and he was like, "You know, piss off," right? Yeah. Understandably, he's like, "Just right. pay me what you agreed." I think I think Abrams could be the guy to be like, "Listen, let's bring this in cheap, and you know, let's all own a piece of the back end or whatever it takes." Um, and the other thought I had is it's actually been long enough now since since 09 and even since beyond that it could work in the movie's favor to bring back this cast because there is a little bit of like, oh, hey, them again, you know, like like they've been gone long enough that we kind of miss them. Sure. sure. And 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 the other thing is, when you think about it, uh, there's no, unlike superhero franchises and, you know, like Henry Cavill playing Superman, it's he's on the clock, right? Um, right. With these guys, they're not on the clock. I mean, you can play these characters as has been shown historically as long as you want. Yeah. Well, another so, thing that yeah. I, I didn't introduce into the conversation last time that I think has relevance here and in, in looking at the landscape at the time that Star Trek Beyond came out with the landscape that we're in today, strictly in terms of Star Trek, it's a night and day difference. Right. Because in, when Beyond came out, no Star Trek on TV, really no seeming hope for a massive expansion of the franchise outside of the fact that this show called Discovery, we think is going to be coming soon. Uh, and CBS and Paramount uh, are, for all intents and purposes, separate entities. Now they're the same entity. Star Trek has a bigger presence on television or at least in streaming media, which I think still counts now compared with really at any other point in its history, they're just making more episodic Star Trek material. Does that change the equation for the direction that they decide to go in with the movie? Because clearly 
Star Trek on Paramount Plus and CBS All Access before it is doing its job since they're making so much additional material. Does that translate at all, or are there still is, is there still this walled silo between the two? Because another thing that we talked about last week was that Alex Kurtzman said that that wall has come down. For all, basically, that's what he said. Right. But how does that change the dynamic, if at all, for the creation of a new movie? There's open field. Anybody have any thoughts? Oh, I I want to hear I want to hear Zachy because I think I think Rachel and I both both gave our opinions last week about about this particular portion of it. All. Well, you see, yeah. Um, so Cicero, you said that you felt that feature material should be on the streaming service. Oh yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like this in, insurgent only reinforces that. Oh, insurgent insurrection. <laughs> Fox News. Same thing. Uh, <laughs> See, the original title was Prime Directive. That's what they should have gone with. Now, now, insurrection has a totally different connotation. But anyway, yeah, right, right, exactly. Zachy, uh, how should have called all- it Star Trek Optimus Prime. It probably would make more money. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to see that. Um, I think I think yeah I think the merger for sure increases the odds of movies happening rather than I, I you know I mean there was a point there where Star Trek was not so much cannibalizing itself but competing with itself and you had this weird situation where the movies couldn't refer to you know the in terms of the the marketing there was no like synergy right and and the issue is that now like CBS uh, owned the TV rights, Paramount licensed the movie rights. So Paramount was having to split whatever merchandise money they were making, right? And that's not the case. So in other words, there's added cost benefits above and beyond how the movie does at the box office, right? And if you have a situation where the entire franchise is deemed a commodity, it incentivizes them to, and even picking up on what, what Cicero was saying, like you can have a theatrical release and do the six-week turnaround where it ends up on Paramount Plus exclusively. Well, suddenly now, it's it's an asset that can potentially play in theaters, but is also driving traffic to the streaming service. So there's, all, you know, I mean, the the merger. As much as I'm against like just corporate hegemony, I think in terms of this very narrow franchise, which I we all have like a, you know, an inv- an emotional investment in. I think it's good. I think it increases the odds of just more Trek content. Uh, of all stripes in television and and features i think i think both are more likely rather than less so does do you think though that the resurgent star trek on television and its conceivable popularity you never know it looking on twitter but the the popularity that it seems to be enjoying enough of that paramount Mm -hmm. has such confidence in creating new material does that affect the creative direction that the next movie goes in or do you think they just go no, we already have this established franchise with this cast and these three other movies. Let's do that. I I certainly think that if they were to stick with the uh, the Kelvin cast, the 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 spaceways are clear, right? Because there's nothing on TV that's doing that specific era. I mean, Strange New Worlds will kind of touch up against it. But that's that's going to be you know Anson Mount said it right. That's going to be episodic Trek. Yeah, and and in a, a very much in the vein of the original series. Well, well, what they can do with the movies is do something you know not not Freaksish, <laughs> more cinematic <laughs> on like a cinematic scale, slightly bigger scale stories, maybe not as big as as the previous ones to uh, to spend less, but. I mean, it it carves out their own little niche, and it it can they can find ways to make all the stuff feed back and forth. I mean, why not? You know, if sure. they can find a way to, I mean, I mean, Discovery season three finally, and I haven't even watched it, but I know of this finally like acknowledges the existence of the Kelvin verse. Yes, right. Right. Well, that's kind of a big deal, right? Yeah, yeah, so, I would think so. so. So uh, now you can do this. Like, I mean, you know, it's, it's, um, it's like, uh, uh, you know, in, in Avengers end game that the, the inclusion of the, the Butler Jarvis is the first time that those movies acknowledge 
anything that the Marvel TV shows did. Right. And, and that little thing for me was like, Hey, sweet. Suddenly now, you know, you, at least by implication, you broaden your canvas. Well, Star Trek has much less, you know, back and forth that they need to do. They can just, they can find a way to connect the Kelvin verse and the, and the main timeline in some cool ways, you know, have, have like you could do a, a, a next generation era crossover of like our, the, our uh, prime TNG characters with the Kelvin timeline. And, you know, people would show up for that, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? Sure. Anyway. <laughs> well, uh, Cicero, Rachel, any final thoughts? You, you want to slap me across the face one more time or, you know, oh, no, <laughs> sorry. It's all right. Right. No, I had a good time. Um, but no, just. Hey, now. But I feel bad. It's no, just, it's fine. your dreams. It's fine. Right. It's fine. I, I got mean, your back, Chris. I thank got you, you, Zachy. Yeah, we, we're, we're me and you against the world. Uh, that's right, yeah. that's right. Well, no, I mean. Come and Louise, baby. We're, just, we're going on the cliff. <laughs> we're going off the cliff, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rachel, for you, just how does this affect any perspective that you have on what the potential 2023 movie could be oh zacky has me feeling less cynical if jj <laughs> abrams really wanted to do it i have no doubt that people would you know fold themselves in half to to do what jj abrams wants yeah but i still don't think it's it's happening i think it's a let's keep these investors happy mm-hmm. kind of deal, so. yeah. very well C- cicero I, um, you know, I, I respect the hell out of Zachy, um, but listen, California made a lot of things legal. Um, (laughs) Hey, bruh, (laughs) I just, I have zero confidence, zero confidence. Again, like here's JJ Abrams can work wonders. Like he can really, I think even if he got those guys on to work for scale, there is zero chance that they're going to be able to make a film and release it in two, in 24 months. No way, no way. Right. Because they don't have a script, right? Like, here's the thing, Chris, while I think Zachy has made a a very very cogent argument about J.J. Uh, Abrams being able to make a successful film for less than three hundred million dollars, there's no way that Paramount is going to let him make a Star Trek film for less than three hundred million dollars, mm. right? Because for what this is the problem, Paramount wants Star Trek to be at at worst their version of Spider-Man, right? At at worst, uh, at best, they want it to be their version of Star Wars or or the the MCU films, Mm -hmm. right? They want it to be their tentpole, their Godzilla, um, you know, to be the thing that that they can look, you know, and, and hoist up and say, we we also have a thing too, just like you guys. And because of that, they're gonna want something big and grandiose and ostentatious. And you can't do that in 24 months if you've got nothing well, well today. Hold, hold on, folks. Let me let me I just I just I did a little digging. Justin Lin signed on for Star Trek Beyond in December of 2014. Okay. So they had a year and a half, and they they had to go from zero, from when he signed because they threw everything out. So it's it's not it, impossible. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. And I well, thought there that you movie go. turned out pretty well. Just say there you go. Uh, just Justin Lin, shout out to that dude because yeah. uh, he's doing he's doing great work. If you guys haven't seen Warrior, I know this is a Star Trek podcast, but go to HBO Go. And check out Warrior. Um, you'll thank me later. Ah. Oh wow! Um, I will. I will check yeah. it out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so um, that being said, <laughs> you have you have yet again proven your point, Zachy. I'm still not buying it. No way. <laughs> not gonna happen. 
not going to happen. Well, we'll have to get so. together again on June 9th, 2023 and see right. if, if we have our tickets for this right. movie. It'll be our next episode. Uh, well, well, we'll get together. Look, there's... I, I, I said we were going to get to some news. We've run out of time this time, unfortunately, yeah. but there is a lot of other news to talk about. I think we still have to get Zachy's perspective on the return of Q that we know is coming. Yes. Uh, Zachy, we'll save that for another time. Okay. Um, Fair enough. Because I'm sure you've got thoughts. Uh, and, um, you know, there's a couple of other things that have come out regarding the future of Michelle Yeoh in Star Trek. Uh, Zachary Quinto has said a couple of things that are interesting, as has Anson Mount, which we alluded to a little bit, but he said some more things. Um, but there's just there, there's a lot of movement in this franchise right now, and um, we have heard you that you would like our perspectives on this, and it's certainly not a want of not having gotten together. But we'll we'll get together again soon, since we don't have an episode to talk about and we got to give Zachy time to actually see the rest of season three of discovery before we review that. <laughs> season. But, uh, Hey, hey look, look, look. That's the first time you've called him out. Chris. That's, <laughs> that's He said it earlier on the show, but no, it's fine. Look, we'll, we'll get yeah. to that in all due time. I think, um, I think we're all motivated to stick together, uh, yes. to, to talk Trek because we have a good time doing it and we all love it. So, um, Really appreciate everybody taking the time tonight to to get together and talk. And uh, Zachy, it's good to have you back. And we'll try and get together again very, very soon. But uh, that is going to do it for episode number 58 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you were to review for the show on Apple Podcasts or Facebook. It only takes a minute and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter, our Facebook like page, or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes and be sure to join us next time as we discuss all the goings on in the final frontier. As always, though, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends.